Welcome to episode 110 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. I made some difficult choices over the last month. It started with a decision to not host a new podcast about parent inventors. This meant I was recommitting my limited time and energy to my podcast on the schmooze, my business as a speaker and coach, all while being a work at home dad. Quickly, this led me to the realization that I had to let go of many side projects that were not going to help me further my business goals. I enjoyed these activities and had rationalized for over a year why I should keep doing them. Letting go was not easy. But then something happened and I got really into clearing my metaphorical plate. I got comfortable telling people I needed to, unfortunately, step down from this or that activity. I received interesting feedback throughout this process. Several people told me that it was rare to have someone clearly step down and be committed to helping with a smooth transition to whoever would be taking my place. You've probably experienced this. A volunteer fades away and stops responding to your communication. They got busy and couldn't keep up with what they had committed to, but rather than tell you that, they just stopped showing up. This causes harm to the relationship that you had with the volunteer. How could this be avoided? Your challenge for this week. Take stock of what you've already committed to. Are you writing for a blog, organizing a weekly social, engaged in some committee work? Carefully consider what your goals are for the coming year. Is there a new endeavor you need to be focusing on, like writing a book? Are you considering adding a new dimension to your business offerings? Maybe you want to be spending time working on your business instead of in your business. Be realistic about how much time these new efforts will take. Make the hard decision to let go of something in your plate to make room for this new project. Clearly communicate your need to make this shift and your willingness to help with the transition. This will help strengthen these relationships even as you step away to focus your energy elsewhere. Don't just fade away. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest imagines a world in which all organizations have cultures that empower people to keep climbing every day toward the best version of themselves. Being the young leader of Student Made, a successful cleaning company that hires students, has helped her foster a unique perspective on leadership, organizational culture, and engaging the next generation. She's an expert in developing and teaching practical, ready-made tools that inspire people to take action, and her energetic and insightful keynotes and workshops work to unleash the potential in others that exceed their wildest expectations. She works to challenge the millennial status quo and has learned what it takes to create a work environment that brings in the best in people of all ages. Author of Permission to Screw Up, she tells the stories of her biggest leadership mistakes in hoping of inspiring other leaders to share their perfectly imperfect stories of success. She believes sharing openly empowers people with the knowledge that even if they screw up, they can still make it. Please join me in welcoming Kristen Hadid. Hi, thank you for having me. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me from Houston, Texas. I'm really excited to have you on. And I'm just gonna dive right in. This is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? 
I think that leadership is about helping people realize their potential and also helping them see their potential maybe before they even see it themselves. And I feel like, honestly, that I still am not qualified for the job. And every day I'm trying to remain and be qualified for the job. Um, So I'd actually like to flip that question kind of around and tell you about a time when I realized I did not have at that time what it took to lead and I had to figure out what I was going to do differently. It was my first real business disaster. And it happened um, when I was, let's see, I was 21. So I'm 30 now. So nine years ago. And I had just gotten this really large uh, contract to clean hundreds of empty apartments. And I have a cleaning business. So this was my first big you know, deal. And we had something like 800 apartments to clean. We had 21 days to do all the work. And I hired 60 people. And, and many of these people were friends of mine or friends of friends. We, they were all students at the University of Florida, pretty much. And I didn't have any business experience, any leadership experience. And, you know, you take this situation and and you mix work that is not fun with someone Mm. who does not know how to lead a team of people. Um, It didn't go, it didn't go very well. So three days into the contract, 45 of the 60 walked out and they quit on me. Wow. At the same time, it was, it was a really bad day. And I realized now that that was the day that I became obsessed with learning how to be a better leader. And, um, and, you know, when I look, reflect back and I look at who I was then, I was sitting in this air-conditioned clubhouse when everyone else was out doing this hard work, not because I thought I was better than them, but because I truly didn't know what my job was. So my first real lesson is I have to be alongside my people. I have to get to know them. I have to learn about what their dreams are, their fears. And, and then the more I got to know people, the more I realized I can help them and maybe I can help them achieve their goals and, their, and the dreams they have for themselves. And that's when mm-hmm. everything in the company really changed. Wow. I, yeah, I remember reading a little bit about that before you came on. And that, that sounds like a, a hard lesson to have all in one day at a very early point in your career. But when you're thinking about leadership, are you also, did you have any um, maybe examples to pull from, from your, maybe when your childhood, like teachers or coaches or people who you looked up to that you were like, oh, they, they seem like they know what they're doing. And I'd like to be more like that. or did you just not envision yourself having that role where you just sort of the quiet kid sort of in the back of the room? When I grew up, I mean, my, my parents created the most wonderful environment for my sister and I. They really encouraged us to go after the things we were curious about. They fostered our creativity. I can remember it's probably three or four and we, we got a new refrigerator and it came in this huge box and my dad took the box empty and he put it in the living room with all these crayons and markers and he left it there for like weeks. And my mom was like, it could be anything you want. You know, it could be a castle. It could be this, it could be that. So they just, they always got us to think outside of the box and they always believed in us no matter how crazy our ideas were. And what's funny is now I I see that in the culture we have at Student Made, it very much emulates the culture that I grew up around and grew up Mm. in. Um, But I think as I grew the business, I really struggled. I didn't have any, especially for the first couple of years, I felt like I didn't have anyone um, who really understood what I was going through and understood the challenges. And I found a lot of my mentors in books and I would read every Friday night. I actually took a speed reading class so I could read as much as possible. And I think a lot of it had to do with my age. You know, I was 19, 20, 21 running this company 
And I couldn't really relate to other 19, 20, 21 year olds because they weren't in that position. And then the people who were, were a lot older than me. So I just felt very disconnected um, from that, you know, for, for a long time until I was lucky enough to meet some mentors. Yeah. So actually, how did you finally find people who were willing to mentor you and didn't just, I don't know, it sounds like part of it was like how we sort of look upon millennials, right? Like there's like you were doing all this great work and, and trying to do better, but people aren't always willing to see that. They just sort of will brush you aside like, oh, you're 20. This is like a, a thing you're doing over the summer. It's not like business the way I think of business. You know, they have looked down right. on you. How did you finally meet people who saw what you were doing and really wanted to like take that in and support you? Well, for a little while, I, I really kept to myself. You know, everything was about student made, my company. I would go to the bookstore and that was it. And then I had this, and I, and I felt very lonely because a lot of my friends graduated and they moved away. And I just had this epiphany one day. I remember thinking like, it, nothing is going to change if you just go to work, go to the bookstore and go home. And you have to put yourself out there and it might be uncomfortable, but you have to do it. And so I joined the Chamber of Commerce and I would just force myself to go to these networking events and I would be so uncomfortable. But every time I would go, I, I would get more comfortable and more comfortable and and I found that there were so many people I could learn from that I didn't necessarily have to surround myself with other CEOs or other cleaning business owners that I could take something from everyone's journey and, and experience and apply it somehow to my own. And I also think the fact that I read a lot and I was very knowledgeable in terms of like leadership, business, culture, I could have a good conversation with someone and they, you know, yes, maybe I was the youngest in the room, but they didn't see me that way because we were having a, a really a great conversation. So next thing I knew I was being asked to sit on the board for this and sit on the board for that and um, join this networking group and this. And, and I became very involved in the community. And that is how I met my mentor that I still have today. His name is Rich. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, he asked me to go to dinner one one day, and I oh, I never turned down. You know, if anyone ever wanted to meet for coffee or whatever, I always went because I thought I can learn something. And I didn't really know much about Rich at the time, but he has a hugely successful company. And I'm so glad I went to dinner with him because he said, "I'm putting together this group of entrepreneurs. Everyone's in a different industry, different stage of business, but but we're going to meet once a month for four to five hours, talk about what's working in our businesses, wow. and in our lives, what's not." And I mean, that group changed. I mean, it was just, there's a saying, it's lonely at the top when you're leading a company, you don't have anyone to really talk to. I, I became, you know, I, I wasn't lonely anymore. And um, I'm so fortunate to have that experience. Well, I, so I want to dissect this a little bit because yeah. there's so much good stuff that you just said. Um, one is it sounds like for a little while, you really just were following the circuit of work, home, and the, like bookstore, totally. <laughs> basically. that was it. And 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 you had friends, so you know you had some social life. But but the impetus to finally start going to the chamber meetings was because most of that social circle had left because they moved on, yeah. their life moved on, and your life was there because you couldn't move on because your business was local, very local. Um, so you had you had, what was that? What was it like going to your first chamber meeting? I mean, how old were you? Were like till twenty one or so? Oh yeah, I mean I don't, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I I think I was still in college actually. Wow. Yeah. And what happened is I felt like the friends I had, I sort of drifted away from because the things I was going through, you know, they would go out on a Friday night to the bars 
and, and stay out till 2, 2 a.m. Whereas I was sitting in my office doing payroll until 2 a.m. So the, thing, <laughs> you know, the things that we would talk, it was just, I felt like I couldn't connect. Um, and when I went to the first chamber event, I, I didn't have an elevator pitch. You know, I, was, I had my business cards, but I was like, I'm just gonna, I don't even know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna walk in there, smile, hand people my card. And what happened is people were so nice. They recognized that I was probably a little uncomfortable, that it was my first time. And, and I found that I didn't really have to do much. People came up to me, they gave me their car, they asked questions about, you know, who I was, what I was doing there. And I felt um, so energized after that first event, even though it was a little uncomfortable because I, I realized that's what I need to be doing with my time. I can connect with those kinds of people. Yeah. And like, and even it's funny because that, that sort of opened the door to a whole bunch of other possibilities that you didn't know, ex- even in that moment, you didn't know existed, but you knew you had to walk through that doorway to like discover them. So going to the chamber meeting. And I also wanted to like kind of go back through the fact that you went back repeatedly. So you went back often enough to the chamber meeting not because you were getting some direct benefit, but because as a regular, people started to know who you were and started to invite you to connect in other ways. If you had gone back, like thinking back, if you had gone back like three times over the entire year, really infrequently, it probably wouldn't have helped you get the traction you got. No way. I would print out that chamber calendar. And actually, the more I got comfortable, the community calendar, and I would make it my goal to go to as many things as possible. Like to me, I, I saw that as my job because I saw it as I'm building a brand, I'm building a personal brand, I'm building a business brand, and I'm also looking for, for friends, you know? And, and that's, that became my job. So it wasn't uncommon. I mean, I would, I would say that I would go to a couple of events a week. And what, yes, did it help my business? Of course, I got a lot of customers from doing it. That's not why I initially did it, but I did get a lot of customers from doing that. Um, but even things like I was looking for office space. And I met someone mm. who told me about an incubator and it was the perfect first office space. And so it's just, I don't, I know for a fact, I would not be where I am. My company would not be where it is if it weren't for those events that I went to. Right. People I met. Yeah. And yeah. And I love that you really made it a mission. Like yeah. you made it your part of your job was to go to these events. Did it get more comfortable over time? Oh yeah. It got more comfortable. And then you, you walk in and you see people that you know, and it's more, you know, it's comfortable. But then what I also learned is you have to, the purpose of going to an event like that is to really meet new people. So once you start going all the time and you know a lot of people, it can be really easy to stay in that circle of people you know and not branch out. So I made an effort to say, okay, every time I go, I'm going to meet at least five new people and um, wouldn't hang too much with the people I already knew so that I could do that. Yeah, I, I love this. Uh, the fact that you had that epiphany, which people three times your age still struggle with, by the way. So this is like, it's like things people like, you know, they, they go to events and they like hang with the three people they know. And it's like a lot of effort to leave the house. You right. should go meet more people. So the title of my book, I just want to bring this up because you're chuckling on this a little bit. The title of my book is Croissants versus Bagels, oh. Strategic, Effective and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. And the bagels are those tight networking circles that are impossible to break into those shoulder shoulder huddles. That's the bagel. Yeah. And if someone in that circle opens up their body language and makes space for others to join, that's the croissant. Mm-hmm. And that is the visual of how you want to be your body language. So people will come and talk to you, mm-hmm. right? If you hang in the corner with the three people, you know, then you're probably not going to meet these five people. The fact that you set a goal, like it kept you moving. So I'm curious, are you more of a extrovert then? Like do you get your energy from being around people or do you feel like you recharge at home? I'm a, I would say I'm an ambivert. I, both, You're in between. Both. I, yeah. I need my alone time for sure. 
but, um, but definitely get energy, you know, from being around people, but can't do it every single yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's important to know then that you also needed to sort of balance that. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't do it five nights a week. And, and also if you did it five nights a week, you wouldn't have had time in between to stay in touch, to like right. actually those relationships, have coffee, all those sort of more one-to-one, which takes less energy and is usually a more meaningful connection. The other thing you talked about that we, I don't want to skip over is you re- were reading a ton so that you had knowledge in your head to share and offer other people. So while you were in need of things, right? Because you went there thinking like, there's a lot I don't know and I need friends. And like you're sort of in a need space. You also had learned all of this and you quickly realized that what you had learned was valuable to other people. So I'm sure that shifted for you too. So instead of it being a deficit, you were an equal going into the space, offering something and seeking something. And that probably shifted things for you over time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would, um, like I said, I took a speed reading class. Best thing I ever did because I would read probably two books in one sitting. And I would just go down the, the aisle and, you know, I didn't, I didn't just stick in the business section. I, I read about coaches, um, psychologists, like anything that had to do with people. I figured I could learn something from it. Autobiographies of interesting people. And yeah, and I, I would um, make it my goal to read as much as possible. And I think that I, I was not confident walking into a room. You know, that didn't change. I was maybe more comfortable, but I still felt like I, I shouldn't be here or at, in these mm-hmm. meetings. But when I was able to chime in with something like, oh, I read this recently, it, I felt like it proved that I was able to sit there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I deserved a spot yeah. at the table. Yeah, yeah, no. And, and it's a lived experience, right? Like yeah. if you just had read about it, but not applied it, you wouldn't even realize how much you knew right. and how much you were learning and retaining and like thinking about it and applying to new situations that weren't your own, right? It changes, like reading a book is one thing. And I, this speed reading thing has got me really intrigued because I'm a I'm an at-home dad with a business and two little kids. And I'm like always struggling with this idea of how do I read more. You can, the stack of books is like incredible, right? Yeah. That just like the books I want to read, the books that are given to me to read, my clients have books. Like, so yeah, speed reading, what a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> just like re- revisit this idea. Um, so you talked about that challenge early on. So before I ask you more about your challenges, I want to hear, I want to hear about the work you're doing today, but, but I want to know what you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? Mm-hmm. So I think it has a lot to do with how, how we each define success. And what I've learned about myself, you know, I would say when I first started the business, this actually wasn't supposed to be my career. I was supposed to move to New York and work on Wall Street, which thank goodness I would have been su- such a bad investment banker. But why did I want to do that? Because at the time, success to me was about making a lot of money because that's what you heard mm. from people around you. And today, the biggest change I think in my um, mindset and just who I am is I measure success by the number of lives that are touched um, through my work, whether that is in my company or or through you know my writing. Um, and student made, yes, it's a cleaning company, but we've realized over the years that that's what we do. It's not why we do it. That's not our purpose. That's not what what's really special about about what we're doing here. It's that we are equipping our students with all the skills they need to be successful in life. So our students are literally learning how to become stronger leaders as they are working at this cleaning company. And they take all these classes that they are required to take and paid to take, but they learn things like networking and how to um, be confident in an interview and how to identify your strengths and know that if, 
in this next career that you might choose? Can you use your strengths there and how to build relationships? And, you know, it goes on and on and on. And, and that's what it's about. And we always say, we want, we want our students to look back one day and say, this was the best part-time job I ever had. And I learned to be a leader at student made. Now what's next is we want to help other companies understand what future, the future, you know, of work looks like because we hire as young as high school. So we get to see a lot of times before other organizations do what's coming and what skills are needed and, and how we can teach those. Because I think it's our responsibility as leaders to teach our people the skills they need to be successful. Um, but then our bigger vision is how do we now connect our alumni who have grown up in our culture and understand, you know, how to, how to create this kind of environment? How do we connect them with companies that need to hire um, wonderful people who also have amazing cultures? Yeah, this so part of what I find remarkable is that we're not speaking uh, three years into this experiment. How how many years have you been running this? It's been eleven years. Yeah, so so of course you have alumni. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. like that's that's really incredible to think about the people that you've touched, inspired, and what they're now doing in the world. So have you had them? Have you had that moment where someone comes back and it's like my start in this industry was like actually this little part-time job cleaning houses, like this is really a huge part of my story. Yeah. Um, We have people who've started their own companies. We have people who have taken leadership positions in companies that they should not be ready for if you were just looking at their age and their experience, but because they, they understand what culture looks like and how to build that, you know, they're, they're getting these jobs and it started very organically. Um, It started because I was learning and it was my first time being a leader. And I thought, well, if I'm struggling with this stuff, I'm sure my, my people will struggle with it one day. So a great example is my first networking event. I came back to my company and said, hey guys, just went to my first networking event. If you want to get pizza, I can tell you what it was like and what I learned from it. And people would come. And then I would say, hey, I read this book. If you want to learn, come tonight, we'll get pizza. And people were so hungry for it. Not the pizza. <laughs> yes, the pizza. But you know what I was what I was students. teaching them. You know, of course, you can get students to show up with pizza. <laughs> uh-huh. But they just yeah. So so it started organically, and it wasn't probably until four or five years ago that we really made that the learning and growth piece the critical part of our culture, and, and that's really what the whole the whole thing is about. Well, and that's great because I can imagine that that also keeps you motivated to continue doing this because your why isn't about cleaning houses. Your why is about inspiring people to be their best selves, to be the leaders they can be. And speaking of why, (laughs) how did you get Simon Sinek to uh, be your forward for your book? Like That's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. So I met Simon right after I graduated. This is um, a few years, I think, after his first TED Talk came out. And I think his book had just come out too. I could be wrong about that, but um, the the local chamber hired Simon to speak in Gainesville, and they had these Business of the Year awards that they would do every year. And I applied for one, and Student Made ended up winning that year. We won, um, I think it was Leading Women's Enterprise or something. And so, as a teaser to get the community excited about Simon coming, he announced the winners over Skype at this big like luncheon. See another full circle thing because of the chamber. I was in that room. Yeah. And, um, and then when he came to town, he wanted to meet because he looked into student made and thought it was really interesting. And he was writing his second book. He was writing leaders eat last. And we just, um, we became instant 
friends. I mean, it was, we have the same philosophy on business, on the fact that people should come first. And, you know, he, he helped me understand what was the true why behind student made. I helped him understand how we built a culture around it. And, and we just became great friends. And then um, I have to tell you how the book even came to be because it's actually because of Simon and is a great networking story. So one day out of the blue, he calls me and he says, um, I need you to come to Aspen. It's, it's a conference. I can't tell you much, but trust me, it'll be great. And I decided to go, which, you know, I knew he wasn't going to murder me or anything. So I was like, I'll, I'll go. Um, yeah. but I didn't know what to expect. And I get there and there were like 25 people, people I should have not been in the same room with. I mean, the uh, founder of the Container Store, CFO of JetBlue, former president of Ecuador. I mean, these people that, you know, I, I'm like, am I cleaning everybody's uh, cabin? Like, what, what's my purpose of, of, of being here? <laughs> and, um, and Simon says, actually, you're one of the speakers. And he didn't tell me until I got there. And there were three of us. And we, he wanted us to speak about millennials and what we can be doing to help millennials succeed. And uh, my publisher happened to be in the audience. So that's how I got the book contract. And it's just, a, it's a great example of you have to step outside of your comfort zone. You know, I didn't know what I was walking into, but I went and look what happened. Wow. That like, there's so much good stuff there. I mean, the fact that you stayed in touch with the chamber, you, you put your own name forward for, for an award, which, which I just want to mention, a lot of women are really bad at doing that kind of thing, like asking for recognition, but you probably realized it wasn't recognition for you, it was a recognition of what everyone in your company has been doing right. and how much they would appreciate that. So you were like, it's not about me. I want everyone to be recognized. And then to have this out-of-town speaker come in, and the reason he noticed you is because he was asked to do this little promo. And then he was like, oh, let me check this out. This seems cool. Like, and that you yeah. built a relationship. So you, know, you stayed in touch enough between that conversation and when he said, come to Aspen. Like, How did you nurture that relationship? Because I imagine he's a super busy person. Um, you know, he's got a lot of fans and super fans. And so how do you get through that noise to build a really, I guess I, the word authentic feels so overused, but like a genuine real relationship with him that isn't about what you can get from him, mm -hmm. but is really based on like a mutual connection. Like how did you nurture that? Well, I will say that I, I've realized that one of my strengths is definitely building relationships. So maybe it be, maybe it comes easier for me than for someone who that isn't a natural strength. So I'll do my best to, to try to explain how, but, but I don't know if I even have the insight to explain how. Um, mm -hmm. But I think what I do is I, I have a very good, I think everyone has a very trusty gut. And I can tell pretty, pretty early on in a conversation, if this person wants a genuine relationship or if they just want a sale you know, and I'm not interested in the relationships that are just a sale. I want to get to know the person as a person, where they, where they came from, what they've experienced. And I guess you could call it a little bit of vulnerability. You know, I, I, want, I want to tell them a little bit about my life. I want to learn about their life. And then I want to talk about work. And that's what happened with Simon. And that's what happens with most people that I, that I mean, and then when you, when you have that kind of conversation, it's natural to stay in touch because it's like you have gained a new friend that you, you know, you feel close to. And so every now and then I'll just go through my phone and who haven't I talked to in a while and I'll send a text and say, Hey, you want to catch up? And, um, I go on walks a lot every week. I try to go on, on a couple of hour, hour and a half walks. And that's what I call people just to catch up. And I think that's an important part of nurturing a relationship. You know, you can mm -hmm. do all this work to, to get that initial meeting with someone, but 
how are you going to nurture that and make sure that a couple of years down the road, you're still close and connected and, and, you know, talking. Yeah. Talking. And so that you're top of mind or their top of mind when there's an opportunity that comes up. Um, also you're a millennial and you use your phone for voice calls. Yeah. Just, really? That's uh, another thing. I'm, yeah. You can't, that's amazing. It's over email or text. Yeah. <laughs> no, you got to at some point pick up the phone and I tease people all the time that that device in our pocket actually, you know, makes phone calls. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, and, and, um, I had a guest on, uh, ages ago, um, who, who has this thing. It's her name is Susan Roan. And she says, uh, she calls them, um, making hay while the sun shines phone calls and hay stands for how are you? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so that exact example of walking along, I'm just, you know, if you answer, Hey, how are you doing? Is, is this a good time to chat? Just checking in. Not cause you need something, not cause you're like plotting something, right. just the connection. It's, like your instincts around this are so spot on. And I really hope other people hear that and think about like, how do you incorporate that into your own life? You know, so you, you go for a walk, you walk the dog, you walk, you know, you're strolling with your kids, you go for your own little stroll at night. Um, yeah, actually, I right before you and I started this conversation, I went on to Amazon to like do one more like look at your book. And there's a couple of things that really impressed me. Um, one is the number of reviews you have. And because I, I launched with a big launch, I made a huge effort around reviews. So I know how hard it is to get reviews. And your book came out in December of 2017. Am I right? Is this uh, October 2017. October 2017. Yep. Okay. So October, which is not that long ago, and you have 62 reviews, which is genuinely amazing, particularly for traditionally published books. I feel like a lot of times they just don't bother with the reviews. Mm-hmm. So clearly people are, are liking what you're doing and you're making an effort to make that happen. And your editorial reviews, I mean, Seth Godin, who I just interviewed for this and I'll, he'll come out um, in a few months, which is exciting. Susan Kane, who I've been trying to get to know, um, super busy. Um, as you mentioned, the co-founder and chairman of the Container Store is one of your editorial reviews. So now I know how you made yeah. that connection. Um, Aiden and Anai, like uh, co-founder and CEO. I mean, like what an incredible lineup. And, and I feels like that, um, that one moment in Aspen really introduced you to an entirely new, I guess, network, an entirely new space, right? Just like jump you like yeah. dramatically up many levels to like people you would not normally get to know? Absolutely. I believe at least two on, on the, of those people were from Aspen. Um, I met Seth through Simon, you know, and I think it's, um, when I look at every name there, it, it's who, you know, I, I, I didn't meet them just walking down the street. You know, I knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who introduced me to this person. And, and I think yeah. um, when you, the, the thing about building relationships is you can ask for help when you need it. But the relationship has to be there. You know, you can't go into these relationships looking for how can you help me. It's I want to build a relationship with you, and then once that's there, if you need help, ask. If I need help, I'll ask. And so when the book came out, I, I looked at my network, I looked at my circle, and I asked people who I knew would be willing. And I said, "Is there anyone you know that could be good for a review for this?" And it it wasn't hard. It it, it really wasn't hard to obtain those because of my relationships. Yeah. If I didn't have those, I don't I don't even know where to, where I would start. I think a lot of people um, quietly by themselves build a book, a podcast, a, pro- a program, an app, whatever the thing is, quietly in their own head. They design things, you know, seeking new input. And then they bring it to the market, share it with the world and like falls flat because no one knows that they existed. No one knows they're working on it. So it sounds like without meaning to, you were sort of building the connection points that you needed so that when you had a book, for instance, come out, 
people were like, oh, fantastic. Kristen's got a book coming out. That's cool. And they weren't like, what? We haven't heard from Kristen in 10 years. Why why do we care? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think people have to almost be really realizing that this whole building relationships thing is about a future. It's it's an insurance policy against catastrophe. But if you don't have a catastrophe, it's just this like nurturing community that you will always have. And in a catastrophe, when you're like completely turns upside down, that's who's going to help you get, you know, upright and like forward motion again. Um, But you don't know, like no one ever thinks they're going to be the one who needs that. Um, But you, you know, if you don't have those people in place, it's the people who, who lose their job and go on LinkedIn and spam everyone saying, I'm looking for work. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you haven't talked to me in so many years. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I only hear from you when you're looking for a job? Mm-hmm. That's the opposite of what you've been doing, which is fantastic. So what's your challenge today? I, I guess I, we talked about all this great success you're doing. What's the stuff that you're like, what's this new plateau that you've reached with your business and your mindset? Like what, mm-hmm. what are you reading now and struggling with now and trying to like move to the next level? I think right now the struggle is, okay, we've scaled student made, right? We, we've, you know, the business runs without me. I guess that's what I mean by scaling. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Hopefully it doesn't happen. But if I did, the business would be fine. Our people will be fine. But now it's like, how do we scale the culture piece. How do, how do we actually take what we're doing at Student Made and help other organizations emulate what we're doing? And what does that look like? I know that it doesn't look like franchising Student Made. That, that's not what growth looks like to me. It is scaling our culture. And, and I'm trying to wrap my head around what that means. Um, something that I've done for myself that has been so valuable is I hired an executive coach for myself, which is funny because I coach people um, here and there. But I was like, wait, I don't have anyone coaching me, you know? And I, it, it has been so helpful because we're talking through strategy stuff and like, what does the next decade look like? How are we going to, how are we going to scale this? And um, yeah, it's like an exciting, it's exciting, but it's also uncomfortable. It's kind of like we have to reinvent who we are as a company. And um, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm working through that right now. That's really exciting. And I, I've, um, I also am a coach and I say to people who are looking for a coach, ask that coach who coaches them. Yeah. Because if they're not getting coached, right. they're probably not a person for you. Like they have to be continuously pushing them own, their own you know, comfort zone, their own boundaries, their own learning and getting guidance and strategy because coaches need coaches. Like you can't coach yeah. yourself. Like you're too close to it all. So you're being really thoughtful about that because it sounds like to get to this next thing, it's going to, it's going to require you to rewire your brain a little bit about what this looks like because the culture is, it's an export. Um, there's, there's the idea of scale versus spread. And I think what you're looking to do is spread. Spread. Exactly. Yeah. So scale would be like the, you, you, you know, doing the whole like franchise kind of model. But I think spread is like when ideas take form and you can somehow, get other people to take your ideas and implant them into their own in, you know, organizations, institutions. I ran a, a meetup group for 11 years uh, in Boston that if I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't start it to be uh, financially a thing. And so it really never became one. It was really just an amazing network, but it grew to thousands of people, hosted hundreds of events and sort of what you're talking about, the culture of it spread. The culture lives on. We, we ended the group a year ago and the culture still exists. It's, it's, in, it's entirely inspired the way I'm running my business, the way I work with people and everyone who came through that experience it as well and brought it with them. 
And it's how we tried having an impact on the Boston area was like, you know, our impact is the people who came through our stuff. Like you said, these are younger people. They're now in leadership positions a decade later. Yeah. And so how they're working together, how they're thinking about the ecosystem of the area and the other organizations, instead of it being, you know, scarcity, it's abundance, right? Like that kind of stuff is something that if you don't get taught that early on, it's really hard to then switch gears. So um, totally. I love, I love what you're doing. Can I add one more thing? That's a challenge. Yeah, please. So I think, well, at the beginning, I was really great at building relationships, was really intentional about it, really intentional about networking. Over the last several years, my life has changed a lot and, and my role in my business has changed a lot. I'm not so involved in the day-to-day anymore. And really what I do with most of my time is speaking and consulting and coaching and that kind of stuff. And, and that's sort of like the next chapter, you know, focusing on what, what does spreading look like? So I'm not really in Gainesville too much. I'm there maybe a week out of the month. So I'm not, you know, I'm not super involved in local events there. And I started to realize I have not been keeping up with my relationships, with my community. And I have to be better about that. And so I made an intentional effort to, every time I'm back in Gainesville, I try to do one event. Um, I've been using Asana, which is a great tool because it's just a place to store things that your brain just can't handle at that moment. And what I do is when I think of someone that I need to connect with, I'll just put their name on Asana and remind me in like, you know, a month that I need to follow up with this person. Or I have um, little projects in Asana based by, on, on city. So all the people that live in New York, all the people that live in Houston. All, so the next Brilliant. time I'm in that city, I can, I can try to schedule time to connect with people. And I, I feel like I'm back to where I was, but I've learned that life gets in the way. It's busy. And if, and if, relationships and networking are important to you. You just have to, you have to put a system in place that'll keep it front and center because it's just so hard to keep it all in in your head. There's no way. Yeah. I'm really glad that you shared that because um, habits are the first step, but you need systems to really support those habits and and continuing when life intervenes and life will always, always intervene. And this idea of when you're traveling, jumping in, do you, do you host dinners when you're traveling or do you go like organize people to come to like a happy hour or something? Yeah. So I like, I, I do a lot of one-on-one, you know, Hey, let's meet for dinner or coffee. Or I was just in New York not too long ago and I stayed an extra day. And I mean, I had something scheduled every hour from breakfast all the way to dessert. And I just, I saw as many people as I could when I was there. And then sometimes I'll do group things, but then what I'll do is I'll put another reminder a couple months from now, the next time I'm in the city to at least, you know, reach out. And if I can't, I just keep extending it. So I I never lose that thought. So someone I interviewed who I really, really enjoyed the conversation with, her name is Stephanie Chung. And she is the high ticket sales closer. And her background is she was selling private jets. And she's not a pilot. And she's a woman of color in a very white male dominated industry. And she's so good at relationships. Like she just gets that because you can't sell planes by like scattering no. your business cards around and be yeah. like, hey, I hope this works. So, um, so I really like check out that show. But she, what she does is she goes and she sits in a fancy restaurant in a fancy hotel. And she books 8 a.m., 10 a.m., yep. noon, 2, 4, 6, 8. Yep. And she just, you know, she laid it out in the, in the talk. Like it's like breakfast, coffee, lunch, Coffee, coffee, dinner, drinks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she just has people come to this really nice location, which of course gives her a little prestige. You know, she's not like sitting in a Starbucks all day. She's being taken care of with great service and really nice environment. Um, and so 
that rather than running around town, like I was like, that's a great idea. Cause when I do it, I'm always like uptown, downtown, Brooklyn, midtown, Brooklyn, uptown. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't do this. So, um, so I just want to share that with you. Cause I think it's, it's great that you're being thoughtful as you're traveling and as you're building your community to really stay in touch with people. It is, it's something you have to, you have to put at the forefront because you recognize how much you benefited from those connections early on. And now you're in a position to help others, right? So that's the wonderful part is that in a short amount of time, a decade later, which is really not a lot of time, you're now in a position that you're going to be able to support other people and advancing their dreams. So I wanted to actually um, ask you sort of my, my fun wrap up question is if we had a chance to connect a year from now, and I hope we're in touch before that. Yeah. But if we connect a year from now and we're celebrating all of your successes from the previous year, I want to know what we're going to be celebrating. Man, what a question. Well, something that I well, something that I'm trying to do, I'm two days in, so it's very new, is after the book came out, I stopped writing. And I really miss miss it. And the reason I stopped writing is truly out of fear because for two and a half years, I worked on this book. I poured everything I had into it. And I didn't submit it to the, to the publisher until I really felt like this is the book I want out there. And that was, my, that was like my full-time job. You know, I was, I was working on that book more than I was doing other things. And the fact is now I don't have that kind of time to dedicate to writing. So the fear is, well, what if I write these things and, and put them out in the world and they aren't as good as the book? And I realize I have to kind of let go of that, follow my own advice, which is the whole essence of permission to screw up, that you just have to try, put it out there. It's all right if it's not perfect. And I, I have a commitment to write every day for at least 30 minutes. So that means more articles, wow. maybe another book. You know, I don't know what it means, but I hope that a year from now, we're celebrating that I stuck with that commitment and did it every day for the next year. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And if you get into the practice of writing and also publishing, like posting yeah. and, and articles, blog posts, etc., you just become a better writer. I mean, really? I was loath to admit that. <laughs> um, my When I first started writing my book, I tried writing in these like four hour sprints once a month. Yeah. And it was not easy. Like mm-hmm. it takes two hours to get your brain back into the content. And it's just like, you just lost all that time. Like a little bit every day yeah. was turned out to actually be the only way forward. Um, and I kind of was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have time. I don't have time, but I made time and I then had a book and I'm working on my next book in the fall. How exciting. So we'll be celebrating that having come out yeah, as well. Awesome. Right. You just got it. All right. I just say that on air. Uh Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> now it's real. Yeah. Um, and I just tossed my uh, original topic and I'm coming up with a new one that yeah. speaks directly to my ideal client. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. So this has been a really fun conversation. I th- think there's so much value people are going to take from it and thinking about how they can incorporate like into their own life, and their own sort of career path, their own business um, excitement. So thank you so much for joining us, Kristen. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I can't believe it's already over. <laughs> it went by fast. <laughs> it was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kristen. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 110. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. 
If you enjoyed this episode with Kristen, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.